This is Northeast News Managing Editor Paul Thompson, and you are listening to Kansas City's Northeast Newscast. Our guest this week is 4th District Kansas City, Missouri City Councilwoman Jolie Justice. Ostensibly, she joined the show to talk about the November 7th single-terminal airport vote, but circumstances led the show in a different direction. Instead of jumping right into the airport debate, we spent the first 10 to 15 minutes of the show talking about crime. Specifically, three homicides that occurred within the historic Northeast boundaries over the course of three days, Tuesday to Thursday, October 24th to October 26th. That makes 121 homicides in Kansas City, Missouri this year, and more than a dozen in the historic Northeast area alone. So we talked to Councilwoman Justice about what can be done at the city level to combat this issue. Justice was candid about the issues the city faces and acknowledged a need to do better. That being said, she wasn't afraid to be realistic. Unfortunately, this isn't a problem that's going to be solved overnight. That being said, she expressed faith in new chief of police, Rick Smith, particularly as it relates to the social services coordinator position he instituted while at Central Patrol Division and has since championed for every patrol division in Kansas City. Councilwoman Justice, as you'll hear in her own words, fully supports that idea. After discussing the issues related to violence in Kansas City, we do move on to the airport, and she sets the record straight on some issues that have been obfuscated in the media and elsewhere. Of course, as the chair of the airport commission, she's strongly in favor of this proposal, and she thinks it'll be better for Kansas City in the long run. But we talked about issues that people have with it, and I didn't shy away from asking her some tough questions as it relates to the vote. We hope you enjoy the episode, and more importantly, we hope you learn something from it. Regardless of how you feel about the airport, I encourage you to vote on November 7th. Without further ado, our conversation with 4th District Councilwoman Jolie Justice. As always, thanks for listening. All right. Paul Thompson here sitting alongside Councilwoman Jolie Justice of the 4th District, actually in her law office. So thank you very much for inviting me up here today. Absolutely. Thanks for coming. And Well, thank you for joining. And uh, we want to talk a little bit about the airport, obviously a big vote coming up on November 7th. But before that happens, and even more breaking news, in the historic Northeast, there have been three homicides in the last three days really a busy week throughout Kansas City, generally speaking, and I thought we would be remiss if we didn't start by talking about that. So many people in the Northeast are kind of holding their hands up in the air and wondering what can be done, and I know it's not always about money, it's not always about more officers on the street, though I think it bears mentioning that the Chief of Police, Rick Smith, is trying to ask the city for more resources, for more dispatchers, more officers on on the street for the upcoming budget cycle. With public safety spending the way it is already, I think it represents 76% of the budget, if I'm not mistaken, I guess that can't be the only answer. So I wanted to ask you, at the city level, what can be done to kind of curb this surge in violence in Kansas City right now? Absolutely, Um, and and those are great questions, and and I agree that um, obviously when you are facing you know, spikes that we've seen recently relating to violent crime, um, you need to address it and you need to address it head on. But you've also, I think, said something that is incredibly important, which is the answer is not always money and law enforcement. The answer is actually looking at the underlying issues and why are we seeing an increase this year in homicides and violent crime. And, you know, it's interesting because Kansas City's not alone in this. So if you look across the country, there are several major metropolitan areas that are seeing um, increases this year and last year and 
the answer, the short answer is, is no one knows why we're right. seeing increases right now. Um, you can point to several different things, but cities that have seen increases and have responded to those increases solely by adding police officers have not seen a decrease. They've still seen the same increases. Right. And so we have to be looking at really, I think, um, holistic matters. I think this is going to be a conversation that we need to have between both the police department and the city council, mm -hmm. but also it needs to be a conversation that we have with all of our social service agencies who are already doing great work on the ground. Absolutely. And uh, one of the things that you and I have talked about in the past is I think that Captain, I'm sorry, Chief Smith um, right. has uh, a, a really started something great in Center Patrol and he wants to see it expand, which is putting social service and, 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 and social workers um, into the police departments to help mm. address the underlying issues. Right, and uh, it's the, the social services coordinator position. At the time, he had just one, and that was Gina English, and now she is going to kind of, essentially, under his vision right now, she would kind of work to guide and sort of lead that social services component at all of the patrol divisions. And just based on what I've seen, I followed her around a couple of times and done a couple of stories on her. Uh, I thought it was kind of amazing seeing how she interacted with people who it would, it would be difficult for me to believe would interact the same way with a uniformed officer. And You're that's what I hear yeah. from the people at, at, at uh, Central Patrol Division as well. It's, so how important is it to get somebody there who who can talk to people in a way that's relatable and not saying that police officers can't but there is that kind of natural wall when you've got a badge and a uniform I would think right yeah I, I think that that what um, Gina English and and people who bring that social services component bring to the police department and to law enforcement is for those people who are not comfortable talking to someone in a uniform right. it is a person that um, can reach out connect and then that then Gina and others like her can be the bridge so that trust can be built and that you can start to build the relationship that is necessary. I mean, so many times we hear with a lot of our homicides, in particular in Kansas City, mm -hmm. that there are a lot of witnesses, but no one's willing to say anything. Right. And so it's, it's really interesting. Uh, right now, there are several different groups in Kansas City who are working very hard on issues of related to violent crime. Mm -hmm. And they all have different theories, and I think they're all correct. Right. Um, you you know, the folks who are at, for instance, Aim for Peace at the health department, mm -hmm. they are looking at this disruptor model where when you have a violent crime, you immediately go into the community as non uniformed police officers and try to prevent the retaliation that might come on the heels of the crime. Right. So that's one model and those are very important models. Another model is what Casey Nova does with the focused deterrence mm -hmm. and going after folks from a law enforcement perspective and saying we're going to come down hard on you if you or anyone in your network commits a crime but we're also going to give you the social services on the side should you wish to to get out of this life and break this this cycle and then you also have kind of the bigger picture issues which is um, KC um, violence free KC which essentially says that we need to address violent crime as as if it is a contagious disease in our community right. and so looking at it in a holistic or an integrative matter I think there is space for all of those things what I think is missing and what I learned when I um, 
um, had the opportunity to chair the Violent Crimes Task Force here in Kansas City was um, that we do not have coordination between all of those different um, groups. Right. So to, to help with that. They're all operating in silos. Right. Everybody's in a silo. And so things that I'm excited about that I think will reap benefits moving forward is number one, we've got Chief Smith who is interested in taking the model of having social service, I guess, resources to every single patrol, which I think is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Then number two, I think that uh, we have at City Hall recognized that what we need is more coordination, and so they have now filled the position of... um, and I can't remember what her exact title is, but it's um, the coordinator of of violent crime issues in Kansas City. And so she is there now, and she's working closely with Gina English. We needed someone who was the liaison between City Hall and the police department because while... um, you know, while we obviously work closely with KCPD, they still are under state control. Right. And so there are some very significant ways that we don't work well together because um, while we are setting the budgets, mm-hmm. uh, meaning we are the ones providing the, the revenue for KCPD, they're making the decisions on how that money is spent. Mm-hmm. And so we need better coordination between the two. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And I, I was wondering <clears throat> something, and I don't even know if this is palatable at all. So I'm just going to take a wild swing mm-hmm. and see what see what you say with it, because it seems to me from what I've heard before that at that, and I, I keep saying 76 percent. So hopefully I'm not I'm not wrong on that. But that's essentially public safety, right? The, the spending yeah, I, I've heard it's anywhere between 73 and 76 percent that okay. we spend on public safety, and public safety right now includes both fire and police. Right. Yeah, I got you. Um, but essentially, I am I'm under the way I understand it is that the city's pretty well tapped out when you get up to 76% there because you only have 24% for, for every, other, every other need in the city, right? It, is it possible or, or is it would it be palatable to do something like uh, something more drastic like a public safety sales tax or something of that nature? We well, you know we already have a public safety sales oh, well, tax. Oh, to increase it. Yeah, and so obviously these are all conversations that we should we should have, but one of the things that we need to make sure that we're doing is spending our public safety dollars in a wise manner. Right. So, for instance, there was a staffing study that was done recently at KCPD mm-hmm. because uh, we were trying to figure out um, where uh, we obviously have a lot of uniformed officers, but not all of them are on the streets. And so it's my understanding that Chief Smith, based on conversations that I've had with you and and other um, accounts that I've read in the media, that Chief um, Smith is looking at taking some of the uniformed officers who were in admin positions and switching them to the streets. If that's the case, I think that's a wise move. But what happens when you start to put more money into public safety than we're already doing is that that money comes out of other programs. And the other programs that it comes out of include things like you know, trash collection and um, codes enforcement and and a lot of the things, frankly... Street repair and bike lane. Right. And these things um, are part of the things that make our community more livable. And if you take the money away from that, you're only going to be increasing the problems that lead to the crime in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so to only respond by adding more law enforcement and not look at the other things that are are really starting to reduce crime, um, I think would be short-sighted. And so we have to have a conversation about how we're going to fund it, but first we need to have a conversation about whether we are spending our money wisely right now. Sure, and I appreciate your willingness to look internally on this because it would be pretty easy, I think, for you to look at the state and say, look at the gun legislation they passed. Uh, and obviously that's a huge problem. And actually when I talked to Jason Cooley in the chief's office uh, two weeks ago or three weeks ago about that subject of rising crime, he brought that up too and said, 
I think what he told me, an anecdote that I found hard to believe, but I, you know, I trust him, so I know it's true, is that when they were down in Westport stopping cars, uh, most recently, I think within the last month, they said they found a gun in every single car. The and but they were legal. Right. And, and the proliferation of guns in our community cannot be ignored. If we try to have a conversation about violent crime in Kansas City or any other community and we don't talk about guns, it would be uh, foolish and, 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 and a waste of time because the vast majority of the crime right now is perpetrated by handguns. Right. And, so, and so we have to have the conversation. But I'm also acutely aware, after spending eight years in Jefferson City, that the possibility of us changing gun laws in Jefferson City is pretty slim. And so if that's the case, what can we do locally to address the issue? And right now we have a problem where it is much easier to access firearms in Kansas City, legally or not than it is to access the social services that folks need, like mental health care, um, early childhood education, access to safe and healthy foods, um, you know, safe housing. Mm -hmm. If we um, have a society that it's easier to get guns than it is to get services that are basic human needs, then of course we're going to have the violent crime that we have. Right. So what we People have to frustrated. do... People are frustrated. Right. They're frustrated. So we have to make sure that we are addressing both at the same time. And that's why we can't just add more police officers or money to the public safety budget. We have to have a conversation about where those dollars are going to make a difference. Good. Well, thank you. And uh, speaking of conversations, I, we're about 11 minutes in, and I know I lured you into this interview uh, under under the idea that you would be talking about the airport. So maybe we can transition That's to that. That's fine. I'd, I'd be happy to. Yeah. I'd be happy to. Um, first of all, November 7th, I think we should remind everybody, I, we've been hitting that pretty hard, but you know, you can never remind people too much about right. the, the, the times for this. What are you seeing in terms of polling at this point as it relates to the airport? So I have not seen any recent polling in the sense that people are going out and um, you know doing the, the old-fashioned telephone polling, but what I am hearing is this. Uh, we have a campaign that's taking place outside of, K outside of City Hall called mm -hmm. Better KCI. Mm -hmm. And through that campaign, and that campaign's being run through private contributions from all over Kansas City, mm -hmm. through that campaign we have paid canvassers who are out every single day knocking on doors. And they've connected with tens of thousands of Kansas Cityans now and what we're seeing is an increase in the number of people who are in favor of this airport it is getting closer every day to 60% of the people that they knock on the door and connect with are in favor of this new single terminal airport and they're in favor of it I believe for a few reasons number one once you start to answer the frequently asked questions mm -hmm. and start to dispel some of the myths folks start to understand. Uh, for instance, people are concerned that somehow this airport is going to be built instead of spending money on public safety right. and codes enforcement mm -hmm. and roads and bridges and bike lanes and all those things. Or it's coming out of geo bond funds or something of that right, nature. Right, right. Yeah. And, and the reality is, is that would be completely illegal under federal law mm -hmm. and we are absolutely not going to do that. Um, we have, through our, our two ordinances that we've passed as a city council and then also through federal law, um, which, which requires that airports only be paid for by user fees, mm -hmm. Um, we have um, we've set up a situation where if you do not use Kansas City International Airport, you will never pay for it. Mm -hmm. It will never come out of general revenues. We cannot take any money that's earned at KCI and spend it on other things, and we cannot take money from our general coffers and push it up to KCI. Right, and um, and I've. I've 
from what I understand, and I'm not sure what that final figure now is sure. about for for what those annual rev revenue payments would look like, and that's all coming from revenue generated parking concessions and fees and things of that nature. Right. Well, have you seen where that figure is kind of resting at? Yeah. Days? So um, in there's not going to be a ton extra. Is kind of my thought. Well, yeah. And in the spring of 2016, uh, the airlines came forward and said that they were willing to uh, number one pay up to 85.2 million dollars a year to have a new single terminal at KCI, mm -hmm. and then number two, they were willing to back that debt. So if for some reason the revenues that came into KCI did not meet that 85. Point two million, the airlines would have to make up the difference. Mm -hmm. So that was the offer that they made to us. Right. Now, where we are now is that the city has selected a private developer, Edgemore, who is going to come in and do privately placed financing, which means they're going to be financing this in the bond market on their own. Right. We do not know yet because we haven't made the final memorandum of understanding or the final contracts. Mm -hmm. We don't know yet what that dollar figure could be. It could be $69 million a year. It could be $75 million a year. That decision will be made between Edgemore, the city council, and the airlines because they will all have to agree on, on what that final dollar figure is going to be. Right, and I'm glad you brought up the memorandum of, of understanding because I was going to ask you about that anyways. Um, obviously, those negotiations are still ongoing. They are. Is there, is there anything new that you can tell taxpayers and potential voters as they head to the polls in the next week and a half? So the memorandum of understanding sets out what the city wants to see, what the developer wants to see, and what the airlines want to see. And I thought the city took a pretty aggressive approach in terms of what what we expect to see out of community benefit agreements, right? minority participation, women participation, things of that nature. What's Edgemore's response to that so far? Edgemore's response has been that they are absolutely welcome to everything that we have said we want out of this. Now, I want to make clear that we do not have a memorandum of understanding yet, but that's not a problem because we have something that I think is probably more um, enforceable at this point, which is we passed a city ordinance. Mm -hmm. We passed a city ordinance that said what we wanted out of our community benefits agreement. And that was the aggressive document that I just referenced. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, um, and when we passed that, uh, Edgemore was in the room and said, we understand this is what you want and we understand what this will need to be in the MOU. So we, um, we went ahead and let the um, specifics of the MOU wait until after the November 7th election because there are some things that have to be cleared with the FAA. There are some things that took time and it made more sense for us to focus on getting past the election date. Then we get the MOU in place and then we're able to proceed at that point. Right and I think for what it's worth I think I did get Jeff uh, Jeff Stricker on the record saying he has no qualms at that during during one of the meetings at City Hall. So, yeah, yeah. so we'll see if that holds but um, obviously the whole process uh, took a little bit of time to get off the ground. It I think did. it's fair to say right would we be in a better position and more likely to pass if there was an MOU already in-house I don't think the MOU makes any difference um, to the vast majority of folks the MOU is something that allows the um, the project to proceed right. but um, the vote is essentially on the up or down question do you support a new single terminal at KCI right now one of the things that people really wanted to see and I understand why and I'm glad that they've been able to see them for the last few weeks is renderings of what a new KCI may look like mm -hmm. a lot of people are very concerned that we are going to build a big sprawling um, facility like they have in Denver or, or right. LaGuardia or LAX and the answer is no 
this is a Kansas City sized airport right. and so when people actually get to look at the footprint and see that you can actually see the planes when you pull up that you're you're going to be able to be dropped off and walk right in just like you do today right. um, that is not an uncommon amenity and actually it's going to get more convenient because we're going to separate departures and arrivals and we don't do that right now we're right. one of the largest cities in the nation that doesn't do that mm -hmm. and so once people get to see how convenient and easy it's going to be and that it's going to be Kansas City specific that's really turned a corner for a lot of folks so when we're knocking on doors talking to them about the airport and answering their questions right. we show them the photographs that's sometimes what changes their mind right no no I, I agree generally speaking too uh, I, I will have to, I do have to tell you though I, uh, an anecdote uh, just from from my own personal experiences on this thing I, I went to a neighborhood association meeting not too long ago and they started asking me about the airport stuff and well and I was like well that, I'm glad you asked because <laughs> I've been following this pretty closely and and here's where it's gonna be if you don't use it you don't pay you know I, and I just went you know I was kind of relaying facts that I had gathered throughout the months and uh, I have to say they, they started laughing in my face they at that time at least and it was about you know three four weeks ago by now I don't think I think they had trouble wrapping their heads around the fact that they wouldn't be paying that it wasn't coming out of their taxes things of that nature um, how would you respond to people who who maybe haven't been keep like because there's dorks that are at City Hall all the time like me who are kind of familiar sure. with the with the weeds but and then I just tried to throw out some basic things and I think if there are people who are not at that level who aren't following it with bated breath when there's any new development uh, they still might have some trouble wrapping their heads around that. What, what would you say to those folks? Yeah, and, and it's difficult. There's and, and, and for two reasons. Number one, um, folks, understandably, when they're asked to go to the polls and vote on something, mm -hmm. um, believe that if I'm voting on it, it must be hitting my pocketbook in some way. Right. And so that's what's really frustrating about this election because um, technically we wouldn't have to put this to a vote of the people. Legally speaking, it's not required. It is not. Um, we, the previous council did pass an ordinance that said that Kansas City would get to vote on the issue of whether we're going to tear down Terminal A and build a new single terminal. That's mm -hmm. what this vote is about. Do you, Kansas City, um, want to allow us to move forward with that? Um, beyond that, all I can use are facts and data. Right. And, and here's the problem. I've um, seen circulating now this potential uh, television ad that might go out. Maybe it'll just be on digital um, you know, social media or maybe it'll be on television. I don't know. Mm -hmm. That flat out says that this money takes away from roads, bridges, and schools and public safety. Um, on what that's, grounds? Um, they didn't offer any grounds. That okay. was just that. And see, that's the problem that this is the two the two part fight is one is the confusion, but then two is the misinformation that's purposefully being spread. Right. Um, there is absolutely no way that this money is taking away from those other projects. It's right. it's illegal and um, it's something that. Um, Every airport in the country is funded this way, and so right. there, there's really no basis to it. But because we're facing um, confusion and misinformation, it's, it's causing a lot of folks to, to second-guess this. Right, and you had referenced before we started that there are some things that have come out in the past 24 hours that have given you some pause. Is, is that what you're referencing, essentially? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the things that make me nervous is when, you know, I think that... Um, yeah, I, 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 for instance, I was leaving City Hall yesterday and I found a bumper sticker that said, airport vote no, commuter rail vote yes. I saw you tweet that and, out. And, uh, you know, first of all, there's no commuter rail 
on any ballot anywhere mm-hmm. in Kansas City, Jackson County, et cetera. So there's not even any commuter rail to vote on. Right. And then number two, um, you know, to kind of make it seem like you're pitting them against each other is, right. is foolish because right. it's not like you get one or the other. I feel like they would come from different funding sources they anyways. They absolutely would come yeah. from different funding sources. <laughs> right. And so, you know, those things, that confusion and an already complicated um, a debate, that's the kind of thing. And then the, the video that I saw uh, this morning that uh, allegedly is going to be available on social media and that sort of thing that flat out says that um, this airport is going to take money away from schools. Right. I mean, that is just, that's a lie. Right. I mean, that's, I'm just going to call that for what it is. I mean, schools are obviously funded by the state. Right. Um, they have absolutely nothing to do <laughs> with um, right. the airport. And not, and not only that, but federal law and every ordinance we've passed as a council uh, require that this is only paid for by user fees. Right, I feel like that would be an easy one to suss out even for a layman, but you never know with this stuff sometimes, so um, interesting. Well, on that kind of note of uh, you know distractions, are you at all concerned that some of these stories that have been coming out in the media about palace intrigue at City Hall are going to distract from the vote? I think that uh, the vast majority of folks are probably busy just taking care of their day-to-day lives. Right. And um, they are making sure that they get their kids um, to school on time, that they, uh, you know, worried about things they've got going on at the job. Right. And um, I, I think that some of this could create a distraction for the people who are down in the weeds. Right. But for the most part, I think people are going to go to the polls on November 7th because they either want a new KCI or they do not want a new KCI. I think there are very few folks who are probably going to be swayed by this idea that the process has been, um, you know, somehow, I mean, without question, the process has been tough. Right. I mean, I am absolutely. And have I learned lessons? Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, I I have learned lessons that are going to be incredibly valuable for me um, as we do everything moving forward at City Hall. But this idea of who is mad at whom at City Hall, um, I don't think that that's going to weigh in on the vast majority of folks. They either want a new airport or they don't. Right. That's a basic question. And you mentioned that the process has been difficult and there have been stops and starts and things of that nature. Did you ever think it got personal? I mean, there is the the thing that came out about a conflict of interest, which was quickly resolved for you. But uh, did that feel personal to you? That that did feel personal to me. Um, I I was frustrated because obviously... um, you know, I'm trying to put aside all politics, all emotion, and make a decision regarding a billion-dollar project in the future of Kansas City. Right. And then for someone to file an ethics complaint against me, saying that because my law firm previously represented one of the bidders in this matter, um, that I am somehow conflicted in this process. It was it was incredibly frustrating for a few reasons. One, there was absolutely no conflict of interest. Right. But it was that pretty was, summarily dismissed. It was, yeah, it was immediately dismissed. But the problem is, is now forever, I, you know, people will be able to say, well, she had that ethics complaint filed against her. Wow. Well, you know, I could turn around and file ethics complaints against a whole host of people. I think you'd be hard pressed <laughs> to find a single person at City Hall that isn't somehow ancillary connected to something that could at least, you know lead to an ethics but you know a, a complaint right because so, that's not an actual violation it's just yeah. saying well wait hold on you, you had lunch with this person who worked with them and all you know I mean to me I think that that was uh it was it was a pretty low blow but well that's what it felt like and and the thing that frustrated me the most was it felt personal because I always 
argue about the issue and mm-hmm. not about the person. Right. So when if I have a disagreement, and, and I've been doing this for ten years, and eight of those years was in a very um, you know kind of combative, combative partisan environment in Jefferson City, right. and I never took it personally and attacked the person. Mm-hmm. I, I would argue over their policy until I was blue in the face or passed out, but mm-hmm. I never argued about the person individually. And so I will tell you what made me feel good about um, a- after all of this came out, as I received calls, tweets, text messages, um, emails from all over the state, people I've served with locally and, and state um, statewide, um, who said, look, we maybe didn't agree on policy, but you're the most ethical person I know, and, and I know that you're doing the right thing. So that felt good to, right. to know that my my record speaks for itself. No, so. yeah. Well, back to the issues then. Yes. Sorry to bring that up. But I did want to at least let you have an opportunity to speak on that issue. Uh, more importantly, I think, is how construction of this airport and ongoing operations at a new single terminal will affect average Kansas Cityans moving forward. So to that end, you have the Community Benefits Agreement. You have jobs for minorities and women and people from distressed communities. That should affect, hypothetically, a lot of people in Northeast Kansas City. So what is being done to reach out to people in Northeast Kansas City and other areas that maybe don't get the attention that they think they deserve or that they think would be equitable as it, as it relates to getting jobs and construction and as part of this billion dollar operation. Right. So the thing that I think is really exciting about this project is we obviously we're going to have the opportunity to have this important economic engine for the city moving forward just as a, a single terminal airport that mm-hmm. will help our, our city. But the construction of the of the project itself, I think, has the ability to bring people into an economy that they maybe have been excluded from before. Mm-hmm. So here are some of the things that are happening right now. We have um, the city council has said that for this to move forward, we want a specific number of women and minority-owned businesses that are going to actually get the contracts to do this work. Mm-hmm. We also want to take it further than that, though. Not just women and minority-owned businesses. We want a workforce that looks like our city. So we want people who live in Kansas City, Missouri. Mm-hmm. We want women. We want minorities. We want people who haven't traditionally been able to get into the trade um, positions and the professional positions to be able to work on this as well. So we're going to set those requirements. Additionally, we are removing barriers to access to work. So we understand that the airport is very far away away. And so one of the things that we have required is free transportation to the job site, free child care for those who need it, health care on site at the job site. Those are traditional barriers to employment for a lot of low-income individuals, and we want to be able to do that. Thing I'm very excited about is the idea of a pre-apprenticeship program. A pre-apprenticeship program takes individuals who um, currently are not in any sort of trade, building mm-hmm. trade, and allows them to go through with pay a training program. At the end of that program, then um, what we would like to see is for the labor unions to allow those pre-apprentices into their apprenticeship program. That helps really fill out their workforce. It diversifies their workforce, mm. and it creates job opportunities for people who are not working right now. And so one of the things that you'll see um, once we get past the November 7th election is throughout the city, including in the Northeast, we want to have... 
employment centers where people can come in and say, I'd like to apply for a job. And we will, we will have folks who look at it and say, okay, it looks like this is your area of, of, of interest or expertise. Let's see if we can get you into a pre-apprenticeship program or let's see if we can get you into some other track. Those are the things that they're working on right now, which is pretty exciting. Excellent. Well, and for, for people who are interested in learning more about that, is, is it best still to go to the, the website that Edgemore has put together for potential jobs and for to get on their mailing list and things of that nature? I think that's the best place right now. And I think that that is kci-edgemore.com. I think you're right. And Edgemore is spelled E-D-G-E-M-O-O-R.com. Right. So mm-hmm. it's kci-edgemore.com. That is the best place to go. But once we get past the November election, Edgemore also understands that just signing up on a, on a email distribution mm-hmm. list is not going to be really the best way for most folks. So you're going to start to see employment centers pop up. You're going to start to see um, really robust and increased um, conversations in the minority contractor community doing outreach, job fairs, that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. so one of the things that we'll need to make sure that we stay on top of is making sure we push out those opportunities in ways other than email right. because uh, obviously access to computers and, and, and is, is difficult for a lot of folks sometimes because of just you know financial barriers or access to high-speed internet but also sometimes it's because if you're working 18 hours a day on an hourly job your opportunity to get on the internet and surf to find a better yeah. job is pretty slim right. so we want to go into the neighborhoods and say here are the opportunities the other thing I want to make sure that everybody knows as well is that once we get past November 7th Edgemore will be having a town hall in every single council district because they want to know what can the city wants out of this airport and they mean across the board is it a jobs piece talk to us about that is it you specifically want to see a USO mm-hmm. talk to us about that um, you want to see specific amenities in the play area or you want to make sure that Boulevard beer is served there I mean these are the things that they want to hear from and so they'll be having a town hall in every single council district oh cool well I appreciate the thoroughness on that answer and I appreciate your time fourth district councilwoman Jolie Justice I'll offer you the last word right now if you want it. Well, I just uh, would encourage everyone to um, remember November 7th. The polls are open from 6 a.m. to 7 p.m. Obviously, if you're going to be out of town, you can absentee vote, Mm -hmm. uh, which has already started. Absentee voting for the Northeast is is most easily handled either by uh, calling the Kansas City Election Board or you can actually go to Union Station and vote in person. And uh, regardless of how you feel about KCI, I think it's incredibly important that you participate in in this election. Excellent. Well, hey, I appreciate your time, and uh, best of luck moving forward. Thank you. And that is a wrap for the latest edition of the Northeast Newscast. Once again, I'd like to thank 4th District Councilwoman Jolie Justice for joining us this week. I'll leave with one final reminder to vote in the election on Tuesday, November 7th. Yes or no, this is your opportunity to weigh in on a single terminal airport at Kansas City International. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.